you take wise and turn with me to Book of Luke, Luke chapter nine, verse sixty-two. We're going to read, be reading out of two passages um, this this afternoon here. Luke chapter nine, verse sixty-two. Read from the New Testament. We're going to also read from the Old Testament too. So I promise, reading will be short, but. It says, and Jesus said unto him, no man, say no man, no man. nobody, have he put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Taking a look now at, at 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 19 through 21, it says, uh, this is from the, the NLT, I'm reading from the NLT, a little bit more plain or Takes on the edge off it. It says, So Elijah went and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, plowing a field. There were 12 teams of oxen in the field, and Elisha was plowing with the 12th team. Elijah went over to him and threw his cloak across his shoulders and then walked away. Elisha left the oxen standing there, ran after Elijah, and said to him, First, let me go. And kiss my father and mother goodbye, and then I, I will go with you, Elijah replied. Go back, go on back, but think about what I've done to you. So Elisha returned to his oxen and slaughtered them. He used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their flesh. He passed around the meat to the townspeople, and they all ate. Then he went with Elijah as his assistant. And for a brief time this 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 afternoon, I, I want to title this message, Burn Your Bridges. Burn Your Bridges. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Jesus, we love you. We love you. On this last Sunday in July, Lord, I thank you so much for what you've been doing and ministering to this church in this month of July and on, on praise and worship and how you've drawn us close to you as a corporate body, but also individually, God. And I pray right now, God, that you begin to, that the momentum that we have as a church would continue in August and September, Lord, the things that you've been speaking to us this month individually and as a body, Lord, that you continue to, to do your work in us as we step into this new month that's upcoming, God. And I pray right now for your anointing, for your power, Lord Jesus, to help me articulate this message to your body. I pray for open hearts and open minds, Lord, to hear the words that you've given, Lord Jesus, not, not because of me, Lord, but because of you, God. I pray that anything of this message that be of me, that you would just slide off, but it may be delivered with power and anointing. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 You may be seated. They're saying we hold to this, uh, <clears throat> in our culture, is, is actually don't burn your bridges. Don't burn your bridges. And it's something my father actually used to tell me. Yeah, don't burn your bridges. It's something my father used to tell me it, it, when I first started stepping into the workforce. He told me, you know, don't burn your bridges, meaning no matter how irritated, no matter how frustrated, no matter how agitated that you got, with your circumstances or situations and, and, and whatever it may be, okay, if you find something better, if you find something greater, if you find a new opportunity that's fresh 
and, and, and you're about to leave, okay, you may be tempted to give the folks that you were with a piece of your mind. Does anybody know what I'm talking about here? <laughs> you know, my father used to tell me, don't, 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 don't do that. Don't, 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 don't do it. He said, in fact, you, you want to leave with the relationship. Make sure that when you step into new opportunities, make sure that you leave the relationship that you were formerly in, leave it intact. Leave it intact. You know, folks, folks act crazy when, when they think they're moving on from something, don't they? You know, they want to blow the whistle on all this stuff. Want to tell everybody everything. Want to give you the dirt. All of a sudden, as soon as there's a transition in life, you know what happens? As soon as we feel like we're moving on to something bigger and better, all the skeletons come out, you know. Girl get a a new job, and and all of a sudden, she gets a new job, and she was working at the old job, the restaurant, and all of a sudden, she posted on Facebook, the meat ain't real, girl. The meat ain't real. (laughs) Telling everybody that stuff. And now nobody is going to the restaurant because she didn't make that post. All you got to do is run for president, and within two weeks, somebody going to come out with something. Okay? We know what you did. When there's a transition in life, okay, that's when skeletons start coming out of the closet. And, and so, you know, my father used to always tell me is that, he says, don't, don't burn your bridges. And this is kind of with the mindset and understanding that life is not linear. Life is not always about going forward. It's, it's not always about st- taking one, two, three steps forward. But in life, sometimes you, you take three steps back to go one step forward. And sometimes you got to go right in order to go left. And sometimes you got to go left in order to go right. And in life, you're moving in a, a 360 perspective. So when you understand that, that, that life, you set up and establish bridges over here and over there to go over there. When you get that mindset, he, he came with the understanding of make sure that you keep your options open. Just in case what you're aiming for does not work out. Make sure you've got a backup plan. Something that you can fall back on. Something that, 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 that if you need to retreat. Just in case the thing that you put your mind to does not work out. Son, I want to make sure that, hey, you can go back to them and say, I made a mistake. And it's a solid piece of advice. It's sound. It's sound. But what I want to turn your attention to this, this afternoon is that, that the, the Bible has, has, is not just a sound book. It's not just a book of good principles. It has, it's not just a book of good sayings that make us feel good. But when we take a look at Scripture, Scripture is the absolute truth. You don't have to second guess it. You don't have to fact check it. All you and I need to do is just simply believe and obey. And so one of the principles that the Bible is going to relay to us is that there are going to be moments in your life that are so great They're so phenomenal that what is in front of you, you have everything to gain. It's worth you burning up everything in the present and everything in the past to obtain what's in the future. There are going to be rare moments in your life in which what God has put before you, it's going to require you to say, this ain't it. And I'm going to burn up what I have to pursue what you have 
for me. Matthew 13, 44 tells us two, two parables in which Jesus tells us about two men that, that saw, there are two parables in which they saw something in front of them that was valuable. And the Bible says the pearl of great price, the man that sold, that, that sold everything that he had, <clears throat> everything. There was no backup plan. There was no 401k. <clears throat> there was no savings. He sold everything. He borrowed, he begged, everything to get the field because what he understood was what was in the field was of far more value than what I have right now. We're going to transition back to the opening text and I want to begin to dive into this a little bit more. Bible says in Luke chapter 9 verse 62 it says, And Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. It's not fit. I want to provide a little context here so we can dive into this verse. Jesus' earthly ministry was three and a half years. That's it. Three and a half years. That's all. It's not a lot of time. Okay. High school is less than a high school term. Three and a half years. But as his three and a half years went on and on and on, it slowly and it quickly actually began to swell. It swelled very quickly. People began to jump on his bandwagon from all different places and spaces. The, the, the machine, the ministry of Jesus, and I preached on this a couple weeks ago about that herd mentality, how he would, he, the places that he would go, there would be just layers and masses and masses and masses of people. Okay. And as more and more people begin to jump on, you're going to notice a theme throughout the gospels, but Jesus began to articulate what it actually meant to be a follower or a disciple of him. As more and more people begin to jump on the bandwagon, he actually had to clarify what is a true disciple. What's a true disciple? Because he didn't want people, you don't want you getting up the, up the stream two to three years into this thing saying, this wasn't what I expected. I didn't think it was going to cost all of this. Jesus consistently throughout his ministry would articulate what it meant to be a disciple of his. You, you understand this. There were, there, 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 were, there were different folks that followed Jesus. There were disciples and there were followers. Followers follow Jesus when it's convenient for them. But disciples follow Jesus when it's inconvenient or convenient. At some point, child of God, hear me now. At some point, here's what you've got to do. You've got to identify, am I a disciple or am I just a follower? Am I, am I going to follow him when it's a disruption to my lifestyle? Am I going to follow him when, 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 you know what? He says, I need you to, I need you to dress a different way. Am I going to follow him when he's convicting me on what I'm watching? Am I going to follow him when he says, you shouldn't have told what you said? Am I going to follow him when all those different things that begin to disrupt how you are? You've got to distinguish at some point in time, are you a follower or are you a disciple? The kingdom of God has never been about quantity. It's always been about quality. It's never been for the sake of numbers. And as the song says, I have decided to follow Jesus. I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Don't none go with me. I, what? I still will follow. 
What that simply says, if you walked in here today or another day and, and, and you knocked on those doors and nobody was in here, would you have church all by yourself? If you knocked on that door and, the, and, the, and, and Brother Chris was not here for whatever reason, our drummer and the pastor wasn't here, would you preach to yourself? At some point in time, you've got to decide that, look, I don't care if you show up. I'm going to go to the house of God and I'm going to give my own praise. I'm going to give my own worship. It doesn't matter if you come. Come, great. i pick you up. But if you're not coming, you know where I am. You know where to find me. And so in Luke chapter 9, verse 62, Jesus is going to give us some more understanding. And, he, he, and what he's going to do is he's going to articulate what it is it mean to be a disciple of Jesus, but also what it means to serve in the kingdom of, of God. And he says this, he says, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Meaning they, they started out their service. They, they've, they've, they've started out service to God, but at some point... What's happened is in keeping their attention to what's happened in front of them, something has distracted them and they're looking backward. He says that person is not fit. They're not fit. That word fit, it's, it's, it's the root word of fitness, you know. Fit is the root word of fitness. In, in other words, they do not have the capability or the ability to, 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 to serve in the kingdom of God. And the reason they don't have the capability or the ability, it's not due to their personality. It's not due to their skill set. It's not due to their Pentecostal pedigree. But the reason they don't have the ability is simply they lack discipline. It's a discipline. The discipline to keep their focus, their attention, their energy on what's in front of you and not what's behind you. Not what's on already, what's past. Last week, and I told Pastor this, I said, you're in my notes, Pastor. Stop it. He was all in the notes. And I, I know, I know, right? That's the Holy Spirit. When you, when you get, when you get a message and you say, he's, oh, he's preaching that. So, okay. But it was a confirmation that maybe I'm in the vein here a little bit. Maybe things are in the vein. And, 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 and he says, get thee behind me. You say, preacher, that's easier said than done. And I want to flush this out a little bit this, this, this afternoon. And we're going to get into this, this next passage here. First Kings chapter 19, verse 19 through 21. We're going to read about the story of the, a man by the name of Elisha. Okay, Elisha is the mentoree. He's, 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 He's going to be following a man by the name of Elijah. And the Bible says that Elisha gets the calling from, Elisha gets the calling from Elijah. Elijah puts his mantle on him. Okay. And, and, and many of you know the, the, the ministry of Elisha, how he did twice as many miracles as Elijah. But one of the interesting aspects about Elisha is we know very little about him prior to his time period of being a prophet. There's a minimal that's, that's told us about what was this man like before. But the Bible does give us one clue as to who this guy was. And it's, it says this, because when, 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 when Elijah goes to him, he finds him and he is in the fields and he has 24 oxen. 24 oxen, okay? The scripture would indicate that Elisha was extremely wealthy. 
He was significantly wealthy. You see, in biblical times, you know, in today's times, in today's culture, how you, how you, how we measure wealth is we count the zeros. We, we say, what's your salary? Then we, we, how many houses do you have? Well, how many properties do you have? But in biblical times, how they measured their wealth is the wealth was counted by your livestock. And so if you had one oxen, you were well off. Okay, that's why when you read the book of Job and you take a look at assessment of Job, you do inventory, and the Bible gives you what Job had to start with, and then the end of Job, it gives you an analysis or itemization of what he had to end with. It doesn't tell you the zeros in his bank account, but it tells you all of the livestock and the oxen and the cattle and the cows and the sheep and all those because that's what they counted in biblical times. And so here, here's when we pick up the scene where Elijah is given his mantle to Elisha. And the Bible says that he has 24 oxen, 24 of these jokers. Now follow this for a second, because if you understand the magnitude of this, Elisha has 24 oxen and the, is the, the nation of Israel, everybody remember this, has just come off a drought. For three and a half years, there was no water at all. The nation was completely crippled and there was, there was no water. Do you know how much water it takes to sustain one oxen? Just one. How in the world does this guy have an entire team of 24 oxen fresh off of a drought? You got to have some money, some deep pockets just to sustain one oxen. I, you, you, I was out with brother Chris and he, he always says, he's man, you put down some water. Okay. You put down some, and, and I, I drink a lot of water. But if you've seen any of these herd animals drink, they will drink you out of, and I mean, they will drink you out of house and home. House and home. But the Bible says that Elisha is plowing with 24 oxen. But, but he gets the call from God. On his purpose, and the Bible says what? The Bible says he goes back and he slaughters his oxen. He destroys his entire livelihood, his business. He burns the plywood to start a fire. He cooks the oxen. He hands out steaks to everybody in the town. He bids them farewell, his family and his friends, and he steps into the call that God has on his life. Now, there's no backup plan here, okay? You can't undo that. There's no plan B. There's no savings account. It, it, had it been me, you or I, you know what I would have done? I'd at least loan the oxen out to a buddy. Hey, I, give me 2% of that. If I get back, if this don't work out, you know, we're we, we good, you know. Or I, I'll cut up half of them, and you know what? Look, let's go on a steaks business. You know, I, I supplied it. You, something, something to have a backup plan. You can have them, just let me get the royalties from it. Elisha, once he's done with this, there is no way back. No way back. And at some point in your walk, child of God, you've got to distinguish whether the call of God on your life is worth you burning what's in the present and what's in the past to go forward into what God has for you. At some point in time, you've got to burn your bridges. Burn your bridges. Let me distill this down a little bit more. The, the term burn your bridges is a, um, 
is a term, let me, let me go back. The Roman Empire at its height um, influenced our, our modern world today. Rome, Roman architect, Roman cultural, Roman, Roman engineering was so advanced, or methods were so advanced that we have it, it's present within our day today. And, and some historians will tell you that Rome was never really conquered. Rome actually imploded from within, okay? They will tell you there will go a lot of variables as to nobody ever really beat Rome. The reason I'm bringing this up is because if you can understand the, the culture of the Roman Empire, you can also get a, a, a feel or understanding of, of exactly the, the world that Jesus navigated within the New Testament time. The Bible says, is, it, is, is in Ephesians 6.11, Paul writes, he says, put on the whole armor of God. But what you have to understand, the context and the lens that Paul is writing under is that most people don't understand that that's actually, it's a prison epistle. So Paul is writing this while he's in prison, while he's locked up. And so the idea or where he's drawing from to write about the armor of God, more than likely, he has a Roman centurion that's standing right outside of his house. And so under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, Paul is getting his principle, his ideas for understanding how do I draw the, the how do I draw and write out the spiritual from the natural of this soldier that's standing right outside? And so one of the things that the Roman Romans were also highly advanced at is they, they understood military. They understood warfare. And one of the tactics that they would actually use is they, at times in a war, at times when the battle needed to be won, is they would actually, during their marches, sometimes they would actually burn their bridge. It was actually a military tactic. So, and what we've done today is we've actually taken the, their term, don't burn your bridges, okay, against that phrase itself because there was a military tactic that was actually, it was extremely risky. It was a high amount of risk, high amount of risk. It was a gamble. But it was, it was, but the original directive to burn your bridge was a strategy that the Romans used to use to march toward victory. Somebody hear me now this afternoon, child of God. How you're going to win your battles in the future are based on if you can burn your bridges now. Your future winnings are based on if you can burn your bridges now. And I'm going to highlight this for a little bit. There are four points I want, to, I want to touch on here. First point is burning your bridges shifts the psyche of the soldier. It shifted the psyche of the soldier. 1 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, his new creature was say, Old things are passed away. What are, the, what, what are the old things in your life, child of God? What are the old habits, the old thoughts, the old speech, the old addictions, the, the old the old things you used to wear. What are the old things that need to pass away? They're gone. The next four, next word it says it says that word behold, behold. In other words, come see, come look. Behold, 
all things have become new. In Christ, you're a new man, you're a new woman. But sometimes in order to begin to ignite that, in order for you to get a realization of the new opportunities, of the new what, uh, the, the, the new ch- the opportunities, the things that stand in front of you, sometimes a, a literal application had to be had. And in order to make the things connect, they would burn the bridge. So the soldiers would say, I can't look back. We don't have a way of retreat. The only thing that we have to do is to advance forward. One of the reasons, one of the reasons we have such a problem of advancing in our spiritual walk is that after we've been baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost, we tend to think ourselves as the OU. And some of us are still doing old things. Still talking the old ways. Still dancing to the same songs. Bartender, pour me another drink. DJ, play that song you used to play for me. Old ways. Paul is writing to a Corinthian church, and this is a church to understand the context that could not, could not quite get over it. And so he would consistently say, this is the old you, this is the new you. This is the old you, this is the new you. And he would have to pound that home continually, continually over and over and over. And so the act of burning the bridges shifted the psyche of the soldier to understand we don't have anything behind us to go back to. The only way we have is to go forward. Point two. Burning your bridges cuts off the supply of what's fueling you from behind. Burning your bridges cuts off the supply of what's fueling you from behind. Romans 13, 14 says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the, you got it, says, for the flesh, to gratify its desires. One of the most risky parts, and I told you this was a gamble. This is a military strategy that was a high gamble. And one of the most risky aspects of it was when you burned your bridge, you didn't have any place for retreat. So if the battle went awry, you couldn't run backwards because you had no bridge. Okay. And one of the things that happens is typically whenever you talk about a military, usually the military, what's toward the back is, is we send the wounded toward the back. Understand that. Your supplies are toward the backs. When you burned your bridge, what you actually did is, and this is why it was so risky, is you actually cut off your supply line. It was an extremely risky gamble that they did because it cut them off from their supply line. That's typically where you would go to get ammunition. That's where you would go to send your wounded. That's where you would go to get your rations. But it cut that off. And so what ends up happening is that, and listen to me, many of us in here, what's fueled you in your walk before Christ cannot continue to fuel you. Many of you, you've been fueled by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. The Bible says make no provision for the flesh. But I, I want to take this to a deeper level because some of you in here in the past, some of the things that have fueled you have not necessarily been sin-based. Sometimes, sometimes the things that fuel us forward, it's fear. 
The Bible says that the, 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 the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Sometimes the things that fuel us forward is what I call desperation. Sometimes it's those past wounds. It's those past hurts. It's those past things that have brought you to the foot of Christ. And, 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 and here's what happens is, and there's nothing, nothing wrong with this. Sometimes the things that have fueled you into the start of your relationship with Jesus Christ have been things from the past. And what I, I, I like to put it like this. What fueled you to the foot of the cross is what I would say desperation. It's desperation. But there's one problem with that. That's that. That's fine. Again, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning. It's only, it's the start of it. The problem with that is that whenever you get somebody that makes a change or that makes an advancement or that has any type of, of, of makes any type of change at all, purely out of fear or desperation, the change does not last. Okay. Case in point. I've talked to you about this before. January 1st, New Year's Eve. You know what everybody's going to do, okay? Yes. Everybody's going to have a change that they want to make, okay? And what ends up happening is many times we make, we make health changes based on a diagnosis. We make health changes based on the fact that I, you can't fit into your clothes anymore. We make changes, and those changes are made on what I call desperation. The problem with that is when you only advance and make changes out of desperation, it only lasts for so long. It can only last for so long. And so what ends up happening is that the farther and farther you get away from the threat of whatever that diagnosis was. Doctor told you to lose 30 pounds, you lost 15. Ah, I'm good. The farther and farther and farther you get away from the threat, no longer is there any more motivation to continue advancing. I'll share this with you. I had a friend, began talking to his wife. His wife's a lawyer. And she grew up in a, a similar church culture. And she told me one of the things that ended up happening was, as she grew up, um, every message that she got was hell, fire, and brimstone. Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, it was hell, fire, and brimstone, 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 brimstone. And that got to be burned into her mind. So much so that it, it, it distorted, and I, it, whether this was accurate or not accurate. Now, hear me now. Within this culture today, we need more of this. Okay. We need a lot more of it. But when she was growing up, she got it so much so that what it required her and what the, the warped, the warpedness it did to her thinking was she only responded to God based on fear, desperation. But here's what has to happen. At any point in time, in order for what we call true godly transformation to happen, it has to be a combination of what I call desperation and inspiration have to come together. And so when you have desperation, that's the beginning. But eventually, child of God, the longer you get away from the threat of things, eventually you will no longer advance because that threat is no longer there. After a while, you and I have to come to God, not out of desperation, but because I love you, because I he died for me, because he gave his blood for me, he shed his life for me, because he came down from came down from heaven to Calvary. At some point in time, you gotta run this race and say, I'm not running because I'm afraid. I'm running to my master. I'm running to my savior. I'm running to the one, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I'm running to him, my, my father that's got his eyes arms wide open. I'm running to the one who gave it all for me. At some point in time, what has to fuel you forward has to be what's in front of you and not what's behind you. 
It has to be a combination of desperation and inspiration. But if you're only in here exclusively because it's, I got, just got out of prison. I just got to, after a while, you have to be inspired to run this race because of your heavenly father who's in front of you. Third point. Burning your bridges will stop the enemy from attacking you from behind. I'm going to repeat that. Burning your bridges will stop the enemy from attacking you from behind. Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 17 through 18, it says, it says this. It says, this is what God is saying to the second generation of Israelites. These are the Israelites that did not, they, 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 the sense that they were too young or they were either conceived in the wilderness. He says, remember what Amalek did to you along the road when you came from Egypt. How he met you along the road and attacked all the stragglers at your rear when you were tired and wearied and he did not fear God. God is reminding the second generation of Israelites about how when they came out of Egypt, okay, one of the things that happened is the Amalekites attacked them. They attacked them when they were fresh. They, they imagine at, at midnight, the Bible says in the story of the Exodus that a million plus people leave Egypt, okay, and there's no organization, there's no CDC, there's no, there's no, there's no army, there's none of that. They just walked out into the wilderness. There was, they didn't have it, they didn't have anything set up. Scripture tells us that the Amalekites were a very, very opportune enemy. And what they decided to do is they decided to attack the children of God right when they left Egypt. Hear me now, child of God. Some of you that are fresh in your walk in the faith, be aware. This is a time period in which the enemy will attack you. And he will attack you because it's the right time. You've just left Egypt. You're weary. You're worn out. You're tired. You don't know your right from your left. It's midnight, but God dragged you out of there. And that is the time period in which the enemy will attack you. But not only would the, would, would the Amalekites attack you at the right time, they interestingly understood the right place to attack you because what Amalek would do, the Amalekites were notorious for this, is they would attack countries from the rear. Does everybody understand what I mean by when I say the rear? Let, 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 me, let me give you an example. Okay. If, if as a church body right now, we all stood up and we walk down the block to a park as a group, everybody walks, nobody's behind, everybody walks. What would naturally happen is that some people would, would be in the front. Okay. Some of us would be in the able-bodied folks would be in the front. Some of the kids would take off running back. Get back, get back here. Okay. And, and, and naturally what would happen is some people would be in the rear. Our elderly would be in the rear. People with disability would be in the rear. Sister Brownie. Okay. Anybody with five kids. Mothers with children would be in the rear because she's got all these babies. She's got a hole. And so when the Israelites came out of Egypt, you had people, typically they're elderly, they're weak, mothers with children that were in the rear. What the Amalekites would do is they would attack countries in the rear, targeting those that were weak. And so as soon as, and this is what angered God so much, it wasn't necessarily just, just the timing of the attack, but it was that cowardness. To attack folks in the rear, he didn't, they, the Amalekites didn't attack you from the front, but they would attack you in the rear. 
And, 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 and here, here's what ends up happening. Hear me now. Many of you, many of us, we're in situations right now. But because you've not burned the bridges to things behind you, it's allowed the enemy access to bring things in the past now into the present that are affecting your future. Because the enemy is looking to attack you from the rear. And some of you in here, here's what I'm talking about. Because you've not burned certain bridges. Can I just be real here for a second? Come some, some social media accounts because you have not deleted some accounts. Some numbers you need to lose. Some videos you posted you need to take down and be put in the trash. Some relationships you need to cut off. There's some brothers and sisters. Hear me now. There's some brothers and sisters. and You need you and I need to forgive. Woo. It's some people we need to forgive. There, there are some of you in here this afternoon that you've gotten entangled in sin because of simply your, it's not, it's not that you've gotten entangled in sin, but it's the thoughts of your past, your past. And what Satan has done is he's used those to entrap you. And that's exactly what our culture does today. Cancel culture. They will cancel you out because of post of something that you did when you were 16, something that you said when you were 20, something that you did when you were in distress. And they will use that and bring that forward to the present to cancel anything that you have going on in the future. You burn your bridge so that Satan does not have access to paralyze you in the present and affect you in the future. We're going to close here. One last point, I'll close down. Burning your bridges will shift your focus from the past to be on the future. I'm going to tell you this. Frankly, the reason why many of us have not set fire to our past is because we have no vision of a future. You don't have a vision. Because the Bible said without vision, people perish. Because if you had a real vision, and, and excuse me, Pastor, you can rebuke me after, but if, if <clears throat> and, and, and this is not in this is not endorsing this. Hear me now. But if, if I knew that that, if you and I knew that that, uh, that that gas station on the street, okay, had the Powerball ticket for $400 million, <laughs> and, 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 the t- and if I told you truthfully that the ticket was there, it was there, in all truth and honesty, okay, we would go in there and buy up every ticket in that place, buy the walls, buy the every last Dorito. I'm buying everything in this gas station because what I have right now is not worth. And that's the reason, because you have no vision, because my our eyes are set on that what? That 400 million. We've got a fresh vision of what we have, and that's why we're burning up everything we have right now. But many of us, we do not have a vision of our future. Therefore, we're just dialing around in our past. That's all we're doing. No vision. And so you let the past stay. 
Luke chapter 17, verse 32. This is, is a statement that Jesus made, and this is the, actually the third shortest verse in the Bible. And he says this. He says, remember Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. You remember that story? Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you the, the cliff note version of, 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 of the story of Lot. Okay. Bible says that there was a city named Sodom and Gomorrah, and the city had come up for judgment. Scripture tells us that, that he had actually sent two angels in to get a man by the name of Lot and his family. Get them out of there. Get them out of there. And the angels get there, and they warn Lot that, look, man, God is about to blow this place up. Woo! We got to get out. Okay, they've been sent there to pull Lot and his family out. Okay, the Bible says this, and this is fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating. Okay, the Bible says in Genesis 19, 16, it says this. It says, Lot lingered. He lingered. Within 24 hours, fire and brimstone is about to light this place up, and Lot lingered. You know what that means? He waited. He waited. God sent messengers to get him out of there. Get him out of Can anybody in here remember when you were in sin? And some of y'all in here were lingering. Some of y'all still lingering. Think we got time. Oh. Think you got time. Pour me another drink, bartender. Play me another song, DJ. Play it all night long. You don't have all night. You're not even promised tomorrow. The Bible says that Lot lingered. So much so that, hear me now, the, this scripture makes this so plain. The, that the angels physically had to take him, his wife, and his daughters by the hand and pull them out of there. Pull them out. Pull them out. Hear me now, child of God. Some of you in here, God has sent messenger after messenger. He sent the church. It may have been something that had been spoken from the pulpit. It may have been something you heard on the radio, but he's calling you out. He's calling you out time and time again. Okay? I've told many of you, I do not believe. I do not believe. I Just the way this culture is going, I do not believe we have another 10 years left. I just, I can't imagine it. The way things have accelerated so, we're getting to a point where things that are unimaginable, and this stuff is institutionalized, it's legalized, it's held at the highest level. It's not just folks in the street that are doing this stuff. It's, we have some people with PhDs, PhDs doing this stuff. You got a master's degree, you should know better. You should know what a man is, you should know what a woman is. And you sitting there talking about all this nonsense. We have people on the Supreme Court the Supreme Court and you don't know what a man or a woman is stop it this stuff is coming down the pipe hear me now okay I do not and, and, and I, I'm not I'm not I'm not I'm not fear minded I'm not, not, not fear minded okay but at the rate at what which our current culture is going, I just cannot imagine 10 years from now. I just can't imagine it. 
And so the angels grab Lot and his, his wife by the hand and they give them two directives. They say, they say, look, you got to get out of here. And they tell Lot, they tell Lot and his wife, they say, look, run to the mountains and don't look back. Don't look back. And so in Luke chapter 13, one of the warnings and directives that Jesus says, he says, remember Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. Remember the lady that looked back to see what she left behind. Remember the woman that when she was being pulled off the fire, her focus wasn't on the mountaintop, but her focus was on the valley and what was burning up back there. Remember Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. Death and destruction were on her heels. The same fire that was sent to deliver her out of there is the same fire that ate her up. Remember Lot's wife. Let's stand. I don't want you at all responding to this message out of fear. Fear is not it. But we had a woman that was told in, in Genesis 19 to run in the mountains. Run in the mountains. Run in the hills. And what, what I'm calling you to do is in this final hour is, is wherever your situation is, as the psalmist says, Psalms 121 and says, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills. From whence cometh my help? My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. And many of you in here, you're in here and you're running from a past. I'm not here to talk about your past. But I'm here to point your direction towards your future. I'm here to point your eyes towards your hills. Son daughter, run to the hills. That's where your help is coming from. Don't look back to your past and continue to burn the bridges that you have now because God is calling you into a future that's beyond more than you could ever think, that you could ever know. That your eye has not seen, ear hath not heard, neither has it even entered the heart of what you give up now. You have no idea what he has in store for you. You have no idea. My help cometh from the Lord. Can, 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 can you imagine can, can you imagine them in, the, in this next any moment now that those those clouds when you split open and a man comes through those clouds as we sing riding on the clouds with his nail prints in his hand I, I'm going to open up this altar 
And, and church, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask that we, we pray one for another. That you know, brother play with brother and sister with sister. And I'm going to ask you that we, we begin to pray for each other. That, that, that each of us gets a fresh vision. A fresh vision for the plan that God has for you. And that vision begin to burn and ignite you. And in, in so much so that you begin to run this race with a tenacity. With a passion with the vigor like you've never felt before in such a way run towards your calling that that, that not not a running out of desperation but running out of inspiration run this up I'm, I'm gonna ask that you pray with each other that you get that fresh vision that that with the next next Sunday when you come in here girl, girl what's wrong with you I got a vision I got something I'm running toward I don't have something I'm running from I got something I'm running to. And I'm not looking back to the right. I'm not looking to the left. I'm not looking behind, but I'm looking forward from whence, because I know where my, my help comes. My help comes from the Lord. It comes from the Lord. I'm running to my daddy in the front. That's where I'm running. We're going to pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you see us today, God. Lord Jesus. Putting our past behind us, God. Those things that have already been put under the blood of God. And I pray that you would give us the strength. I pray that you would give us the wisdom to understand, Lord Jesus, what things we need to burn up, God, in our lives and continue this race toward you. The author and the finisher of our faith, God. I pray right now, Lord Jesus, for a vigor, for a new fervency, for a new passion, God. I pray for every man, woman, and child in this place, Lord, to begin to see themselves as you see them, not as we see ourselves in our present state, God. But right now, Lord, I see the next preacher. I see the next Sunday school teacher. I see the next pastor, Lord Jesus. I see the next evangelist. Help us to see each other, Lord Jesus, in your light, not our own. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.